Technical Difficulties and Bottomless Pinocchio, Winter Holidays and White Feminism. All this and more this week on The Leftscape. I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. Welcome. And we're in December, and it's Saturnalia is uh, taking place in December uh, from the 17th to the 23rd. Posadas is from the 16th to 24th, and I have just learned that that's the reenactment of Mary and Joseph looking for a room in Bethlehem. Um, I'd love to see that. Just going around knocking on doors, I guess. Uh, <laughs> motel and get, doors. And getting maced by uh, by uh, the Border Patrol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, it's gluten-free baking week. Hmm. National Hard Candy Day. Oh, I had one last night. And uh, National Oatmeal Muffin Day. Sounds like a good idea. And Winter Solstice Yule is on 12-21. We do have some birthdays today. I want to say happy birthday uh, to a few people who have passed. Leonid Brezhnev, who was the former um, head of the Soviet Union at one point. Edith Piaf. Albert Mickelson, who's a physicist who uh, was the first person to definitively measure the speed of light. And on uh, this side of the veil, I would like to say happy birthday to Jake Gillenhall, Alyssa Milano, Jennifer Beals, Christy Swanson, and Richard Leakey. And on this day in 1971, A Clockwork Orange was released. And believe it or not, I guess it's probably believable that I haven't seen that because I don't see a lot of movies. But that I know that's a classic I should really actually yeah, I venture to it open. see one day. <laughs> Um, in 1972, Apollo 17 returned to Earth, and that was the last moon landing for the Apollo missions, actually. Yeah, I think that's the last time any human has walked on the moon. Oh, it's a long time ago. Yeah. And in 2012, uh, we had the election of the first female president of South Korea. So we had an interesting boxing match that happened uh, recently. We have someone who became the first transgender male to debut as a professional, and he won his match. Cool. His name, yeah, his name is Patricio Manuel, and he became the first to box professionally and the first to win at the Fantasy Springs Resort Casino in Indio, California. And he beat a, in a unanimous decision over Hugo Aguilar, which is uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. And I know that he had successes in women's boxing prior to this, too. So it's pretty awesome to have made that <laughs> transition and to succeed, continue to succeed. Oh, I, I, I'm now fantasizing about somebody winning, like, like the best belts in both gender categories for <laughs> doing something like that. I don't know. Um, that would be cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, we have a lot of... A lot of uh, color news. <laughs> like yeah. Of- so so bring us up to date on uh, on Mueller. Sure. So basically, there there have been quite a number of things. So Michael Flynn, who is the former National Security Advisor, um, Mueller said that he has been very cooperative and he actually recommends no jail time for him. So that's kind of a, a foreshadowing that maybe yeah. a lot there's a lot of information that he has that we still don't know yet about what's been going on which is interesting and all these documents were like heavily redacted too so there it's it gives 
people enough information to speculate a lot about and not a lot of details. So yeah, enough information for everybody to be photoshopping uh, individual one <laughs> on everything that Trump owns and or touches. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Michael Cohen, who was the former lawyer and fixer, which I always think if you need someone called a fixer, you're probably <laughs> are not doing good very things. well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, so he had, there were two reports that came out on him. One, um, Robert Mueller said that he's been pretty cooperative with his, um, with uh, talking to him. He did lie about how long the Trump Tower in Moscow had been being discussed in the past. So that's um, something that he's pled to. But he says that any jail time that he could come from that could be concurrent with other sentencing. So he's basically <laughs> saying he's helpful. You know, he doesn't necessarily need more from me, but that's one thing. But however, in the Southern District of New York, his case there, um, Michael Cohen apparently has been very unhelpful. And <laughs> they actually, I think they wrote like a 40 page diatribe about how he's just was being like basically a privileged jerk and, <laughs> and, and he needs to take a pretty heavy sentence for um, all that he's done, according to them. So, um, Let's see. Cohen pleaded guilty in August to an array of campaign finance and business crimes brought by the Southern District prosecutors. And he also pleaded guilty to a charge of lying to Congress that Mueller had filed. But um, Southern District of New York said that they are recommending like, uh, I don't know, four years or something for him. Mm. So we'll see. And I think we're going to know maybe by the time the show comes out, we might he might have even had another hearing. Or, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, and that's where the individual one comes from, because um, oh. in the Southern District, uh, one of the documents says he acted in coordination with and at the direction of individual one. That, that's what he's <laughs> testifying. <laughs> and individual one is a certain person who happened to have been running for president who subsequently won the presidency. So it's <laughs> not a lot of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know why they, they have to be so coy. <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know, some legal aspect and until he's officially indicted maybe i thought Mueller also had an individual one maybe he did too he I did kinda, have some he did have some um redacted name some, yes I mean, that's kind of where I, where I first heard it right so right. so both of them have that going on it's kind of interesting um and paul manafort the former campaign chairman uh well he hasn't gotten any sentencing recommendation yet but Mueller did write a memo to explain how Manafort continued to lie after signing the cooperation agreement, and he's basically blew up his agreement. And yeah, I, I heard that. <laughs> yes, and his sentencing is set for March fifth, as, as mm. now. So we'll see about that. And actually, we just recently heard that um, Maria Butina is going to take a plea deal. So based on uh, some technical difficulties that we are having uh, with our remote conversation, we've had to switch to a different format. So it's going to sound a little different for the rest of this show. So I had uh, read yesterday and, and also this morning about a new phrase that the New York Times has uh, come up with for their fact checkers who I'm sure have pulled out all of their hair by this time. <laughs> They've had to be doing this for over two years now. Um, Is this the New York Times or the Post? Oh, you're right. It's the Washington Post. I'm sorry. I got stuck. Huh. I got, I'm always stuck on the Times for some reason. But yes, it is the Post. Thank oh. you for that correction. So the Washington Post and their fact checkers who are pulling their hair out uh, have come up with a new phrase that I think kind of sounds a little dirty. Um, it's called the bottomless Pinocchio, which <laughs> is a which is their new rating for a lie that keeps getting repeated over and over again, even after fact checkers have said uh, that it's they fact checked it and it's a a false pants on fire statement. Um, so I you know like bottomless Pinocchio to me sounds like some sort of new sex move. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but, so what's uh, the, like a bottomless Pinocchio? Then it's like something that Trump says that 
everyone knows is false and he just keeps saying, or that other people, yes. just, that other outlets keep well, saying it? Oh, I think Trump has uh, Trump has caused this to happen, and maybe some other. And I'm assuming that there's other people who who won't shut up about repeating their lies. I, I kind of think that Giuliani is another one who mm-hmm. uh, who might. He might qualify for the bottomless Pinocchio, but it's certainly it's certainly our our current president. Interesting. So, I heard something um, on the BBC uh, this morning where he said, uh, where they said, and President Trump said falsely, blah blah blah, <laughs> and I think it was that if we didn't get the funding for the wall, that the military would build the wall, which is just not going to happen. Yeah, so I well, it was they, great it, that they just said falsely. And also that we've already started building the wall. Well, he we, said eighty-six times. They're cleaning. They're clearing land. They're destroying well, that's, that's butterfly what the habitats. <laughs> that's what the the article gives us an example is um, him saying we've started building the wall, and I'm so proud of it. And he said it eighty-six times in seven months before the midterm elections. Oh, that's a bottomless Pinocchio. (laughs) Hopefully, anyway. (sighs) Sadly, I guess it won't stop them from lying. And I I know they're not using the word lie. They're using uh, false and misleading claims. I'm just cutting through the bullshit. It's lying. Mm. (laughs) (sighs) And it just kind of proves that if you hear something... Enough times you begin to believe it, or people be- begin to believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, at this point, anything that's coming out of his mouth, I tacitly don't believe. I mean, if he mm. said the sky is blue, I would have to fact check that. <laughs> mm. So, you want some uh, Twitter news? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've been sort of keeping an eye on queer Twitter, or it sort of just passes my. Newsfeed, basically. Um, I find out a lot of things that I wasn't necessarily aware of. Um, there is the website After Ellen, which for a long time was a very well-known lesbian site. And a lot of people are now saying and realizing that it's becoming more and more um, exclusionary, like TERF-oriented, I suppose you would say. TERF um, is, a, is an acronym that stands for Trans-Exclusionary... Radical feminists. Right, exactly. I just wanted to, for those of our listeners that may not know. (laughs) So there was an article that a lot of people were objecting to, and it was called Girl Dick, the Cotton Ceiling and the Cultural War on Lesbians, Girls, and Women. Um, And this article basically talked about um, some people claiming that there's a cotton ceiling, meaning lesbians don't want to have sex with trans women. And I, it's a, it's a weird, I don't know. I, you know, this is a weird thing. I haven't read the article that people were objecting to, but I just was, we're interested in the, the concept of, first of all, that after Ellen and just finding out that after Ellen was um, sort of systematically getting rid of writers that were, objecting to the more the increasing sort of radical aspects of the site and certain people who had written a lot of freelance work for them over the years or whatever and it just sort of all disappeared and so some of their history is getting erased um mm. which is upsetting you know if anyone has a body of work that just sort of evaporates from online you know um but the article was talking about how trans women and the insistence upon being seen and understood as women is an affront to lesbian identity, basically. Um, so <sighs> I, one of the things that I, you know, I, I it's a, yeah, it's a weird sort of stance that there can't be many different kinds of women in the world and that that would be a threat to you. Um, and I also haven't heard personally, I don't hear a lot of, people demanding that people have sex with trans women or other or anybody <laughs> based on it's like I don't know like I haven't I haven't been in the spaces where I'm hearing 
people say that if you don't, if you're a lesbian and you don't have sex with me as a trans woman, then I'm, I don't know what's supposed to happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think people, <laughs> people choose who they are intimate with regardless, you know, and I don't see the problem with that, but I, do, I obviously see the problem with creating spaces that are necessarily denying um, a, anyone's identity, you know. Yeah. So that's, that's a really, it's a, it's a big problem, and it's apparently it's happened in this sort of, this site that used to be a lot more neutral. I mean, I think a lot of people always saw it as fairly um, white bread and standard, which is one thing, you know, but for it to sort of become um, a lot more extreme, reportedly, that's that's a different story. So a lot's happening. With that and, yeah. yeah, it's it's. I you know I. <laughs> I have very little um, experience in that community, so I don't feel terribly comfortable speaking about it too much. Um, mm-hmm. Except that a lot of the lesbians that I do know on social media are very uh, transgender inclusive, and they mm-hmm. get very bent out of shape when when uh, they see any evidence of of turf um, ideology coming through. Mm-hmm. So, so I, and the only pushback on on trans people that I see, at least on my on my Facebook feed, are coming from like straight white women, you know. Mm, um, so I don't know, but yeah, I know it's a thing, and I know that that uh, and and I remember anecdotally, you know, uh, turf um, behavior in in the pagan community, in specifically in um, like Dianic. Wiccan kind of circles, they are, they have been less welcoming of trans women than I would like to have seen, for example. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that there was one incident a few years ago that kicked up a very big controversy in in uh, in the pagan community for a while. Women are women, whether they're trans or cis. So, you know, yeah, I and I, I and I just I just wish that uh, people could get over themselves and just accept that. And it's like just yeah. because just because you're a trans woman doesn't mean that every lesbian is forced to be attracted to you. I mean that I mean just the way people are attracted to other people has you know that's a very individual thing and and it shouldn't that stuff shouldn't play in. <laughs> That's how I feel about it, too, in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, I think you have the absolute right to be seen and spoken to and understood as you express yourself to be and as you understand yourself to be, and uh, trans women are women. And at the same time, everyone has autonomy in terms of their love lives. And Right. I mean, I don't have anything like, to say about that particularly either. I feel like there, you know, we can hold different ideas in our minds and, and have respect for everyone. And there's a lot of, um, yeah, a lot, there's know. a lot to that issue. It would be great to talk more about that all sometime, but yeah, um, but that's one thing. And there's um, yeah. another, another bit of news too from, from, this is sort of from by Twitter particularly that I, I picked up <laughs> on that the pink news, the UK website um, apparently had announced a pan pansexual pride event and uh, some bi people were upset that they misdefined bisexuals because in the article they talked about bi people as being attracted to cis men and cis women only as and and use that as a way to describe how that's different from pansexuality and Mm. there are you know, I mean, there may be a couple of bi people who fit that description, but I, as far as I know, and the, as far as the definition that I use and most people that I know use, it's about uh, bisexuality generally. It's about being attracted to your gender and other gender. So it's, and it doesn't have to be two, just because the prefix bi originally comes from meaning two. You know, it's it's self and other. You know, so um, you know, so you can be attracted to one's own gender and other genders and 
um, it doesn't it doesn't dis I mean disinclude. What's the word I'm trying to use for? Exclude. It, it doesn't exclude <laughs> or non-binary people in in any way. But at any rate, the definition that they used in this article, which gets repeated erroneously um, in other places too, was um, incorrect. And so a bunch of people complained. And but so what they did was they took the article down. And so then it sort of started a controversy because a lot of pan folks were like, well, what? The buys get upset and then pan people can't have a pride day. And people were like, no, that wasn't it. We were just trying to correct the definition. And the publication decided to take the whole thing down as opposed to just make the correction, which is what people would have preferred generally, you know. Mm. So, so it, in other it, words, it a, it, I'm still, I am still completely in the dark about the difference, if any, between pan and bi. <laughs> I feel yeah. like it's pretty, it's pretty similar, and there, we do have to have the panel discussion one day to really hear all the different <laughs> definitions. But the thing that I think that the thing that I want to say for sure is that bi does absolutely does not um, exclude trans and non-binary people, and I think. Among again, we were talking about people have different ways of being feeling attracted. There are differences among in all types of individuals in terms of what specific things and gender presentations turn them on or not, you know. But the definition of bisexual is is absolutely not like only cis men and cis women. Like that's just not true. So you know, I'm glad that that got brought out in the conversation. I'm kind of sorry that the article the whole article got taken down which sort of put another point of contention between bi and pan people and other, it just started a ruckus when it didn't need to be, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so yeah, all those conversations are really uh, at the fore this week. It just makes me sad that everybody fights among themselves when there are better enemies out there to fight. I agree. So I watched uh, the entire season of She-Ra, the new She-Ra that, that came out on Netflix uh, recently. And when I got to episode 11, um, something clicked in my head and I thought this was a, a really good thing for us to talk about. And, and I made Robin and Mary watch excerpts. I, I think Mary started watching from the beginning and I think Robin just watched the episode with no context. So I watched the first episode to get a bit of context at least. Okay. And then I saw, yeah. Um, but I didn't get to see the whole. Thing. Yeah. So if if you haven't seen the series, it's it's for kids. Um, and a lot of uh, and when the new series came out, there was a lot of controversy in the brosphere um, because uh, She-Ra looks like a teenage girl and she's not hypersexualized. She's got shorts on and her, her clothing like covers her boobs and stuff like that. So, and she's not stacked. She doesn't look like she's 27 with like double D's, like the original She-Ra from the He-Man oh, oh. days. So you're saying that the original She-Ra show, that's what she looked like. Yeah. She uh, was very, she was a, a you know, she was like a big boob, uh, sexualized superhero kind of thing that apparently, uh, the guys who were like hit kids. puberty of at, at that age were using it to jerk off to, uh, and they're really pissed off that they can't jerk off to the new one or something like that. I don't know. That's kind of <laughs> the the brosphere kind of went lost their shit about it. So I said, okay, let me check this out. So I'm watching it, and I had not seen the original series, which is actually now on Netflix. So I may actually check it out. I don't know if I could deal with it um, because it came out when I was in my 20s and I was not interested in children's cartoons at that time. So I didn't watch The animation it. of the time and the voiceovers, are the, it's very funny. I watched a little bit of it. And I was like, I mean, oh, yeah, this is what it used to sound like. Yeah. Um, and I also remember, somebody said, I think uh, Joe Straczynski wrote for He-Man, um, you know, back in the day too. So anyhow, um, so there's there's uh, the woman or the girl who is She-Ra when she's not being She-Ra. Her name is Adora. Um, I think their naming is a little on the nose, but you know. Um, and her best friend growing up is this cat person named Catra, 
who kind of looks like a like like a furry. Like she's a cat. She's got cat ears and a tail. She's a, a anthropomorphic cat, and she's kind of got an attitude. And I'm going to play uh, like 10 seconds of, of the show audio, which had the, the actual line that, that got me thinking about this. Um, but in episode 11, you get some backstory about Shiraz and Katra's childhood growing up in the Fright Zone, I think is what it's called, or something something zone that's not nice. Like the, I think it's the Fright Zone. <laughs> so um, there's so, a cord. Yeah, they're the horde in the fright zone and they're trying to take over the rest of the planet and wipe out the other princesses and the ecology and everything else. Uh the fright zone is very technological and and uh you know, looks like uh, it's dark and it's got pipes and and dials and steam and 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 mechanical things whereas the rest of it's all jungly and pretty and you know, um and living in the forest and so so there's the the woman shadow weaver who's in charge of of all of the fighters and um and who kind of represents the uh the the fascist society that's run under um the guy who's in charge of that and I forget his name but he looks like a skull. So Catra has a lot of issues with Adora because Adora is always jumping in at the last minute trying, you know, saving her from stuff. Uh, and and at one point earlier in the episode, Catra's fighting a giant robot spider, and she was winning. And all of a sudden, Adora like pops in and stabs it in the head with her sword. And Catra was pissed off about that, and she says, "For the last time, I don't need you to save me. I've been doing just fine on my own. No thanks to you." And at some and then late a little later on in the show, at at 17 minutes in, you always need to play the hero, don't you? I was only trying to protect you. You never protected me. Not in any way that would put you on Shadow Weaver's bad side. And what I what I what I took away from that when that when they had that little conversation and the light bulb went off on my head, I said, "Oh wow, Catra's representing um, the other in the feminist world, and Adora is kind of representing white feminism, and it and it kind of just brought it all home to me. It's like white feminism." Uh, you know, pays lip service to protecting, you know, people of color and all of these other, other groups. And, um, but they only do it to the, to the point where it doesn't jeopardize their own standing in the, uh, in society. And that was, and that was my, uh, thesis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's how, uh, She Rise is trying to, uh, wake us all up. Have you seen other political? things in this show or is this like the first thing that really jumped out at you as being kind of oh, political? you know there's the there's the the whole you know the bad guys are really it's really obvious that they're evil with the capital e because they're because they're indiscriminately you know plowing over forests and they want to turn everything into their into their society they don't want and they they want a monolithic society that without any without any variation in in ways to live mm-hmm. you know and whereas whereas the other people the princesses uh even though it sounds kind of like a feudal society they they're freer although i'm not completely convinced of that either it's it, it's like you know it's like the the rebels in the empire it's mm-hmm. that kind of of dichotomy going on um, and then they bring up, you know, there's an ecological subtext and a, and a technological subtext. And I don't know how that's playing out yet. Um, there's, a, there's a girl character in there who um, is very good with technology. There's ancient technology, which is how She-Ra, like, turns into this goddess-like creature that can, that can like, kill things and get, do stuff. Um, and they're all, and that's all using this ancient technology, which this one girl seems to, she, they found her as, she's a princess and then she kind of gets seduced into the horde because they let her do the, you know, whatever she wants to do with experiments and she's not thinking in terms of, um, you know, the applications of this knowledge. Like she's hmm. like, oh, you want me to make weapon systems? Yay! Like you know, so she's like off doing mad scientist stuff. 
so I don't know how that's going to play out in further seasons. You know, there's a lot but, in there. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, so so that the this this um makes you feel that this particular aspect of the show is a parallel of feminism of white feminism as opposed to black feminism. I guess I I've been hearing yeah. you know I've been hearing a lot of of talk online from women of color and people bringing up history that you know the feminist movement at the beginning you know it was white women basically trying to promote and further white women they really it's like the the Susan B Anthony's and and the early people of the suffragist movements they really wanted to just get white women the vote, for example. Um, right. And and I and I think Robin, you were you were telling me that there there may have been somebody who was actually using as an argument, if you give white women the vote, it will help offset black men voting or something, right? Yes, I definitely heard some of that about you know the, the longer ago history, um, but currently. Um, I feel like what, what really struck me about that scene was that it talked about um, the white savior syndrome. Well, there's yeah, that that's too something that yeah. people talk a lot about that um, without really asking what people of color need, someone will come in and say like, "Oh, I'll save you," or "I'll just give you all this money," or "I will build a school," or "I will do this one yeah, those- thing that that makes you look heroic." Yeah. You know? And yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the argument, that it's like, it's, it may be a good thing in a nominal sense, but the, the problem with it is that it's, it's out of context. It's not really checking in with the community and understanding, or it's, not, it's coming from mm-hmm. the outside and just saying, I'm just going to fix this thing because I'm generous or powerful or something like that. Right. Yeah, and, and what, what you're saying there right now that sticks to me in, with this little section of the show is that um, the the white savior person comes in saving without really knowing what the other person needs. Exactly. exactly. And and, yeah. and in the first in the first in the first scene where this happens earlier in the show, Catra didn't need saving. She was doing she mm. really was doing fine. She really she was she was defeating the monster and then Shira just shows up and like, hi, I killed it. I saved you. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 the fact that you know Katra says this, you never protected me, <clears throat> and not in any way that would that would uh, that you would put that would put you on on the bad side of the of the powers that be. So though, what what I'm boiling this down in my head is that this is a um, it's the the argument actually is um, you're not you're coming in and saying that you want to save me, but you're not listening to me and my needs. Exactly. Well, communication yeah. problems are rampant on that show. People not. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would say 90% of the issues in each specific episode of this particular cartoon arise. That all of the problems arise, or 90% of 80, 90% of the problems arise from people not listening to each other. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and it's a kids' show, but if if we're just using this as a jumping-off point, yeah, and we're talking about <laughs> feminism. Uh, what do you think? need this tells us we need to address in feminism well i think i think the the women of women the feminists of of color have been kind of shouting this from the rooftops for years it's like give us our give us some space listen to us stop trying to um you know, to to decide what's best for us, we know what we we know what's best for us, and we know what we need. And and like, if you you know, if you really want to be an ally, you don't jump in and take charge. You let us be in charge and do what we ask you to do. That's okay. kind of that, and that's that's all, that's those are all good thoughts and lessons. And I think the other thing that I, that this brought to me also is that I think the understanding of white feminism is broader than that 
sort of first distillation you said, it, it has to do with only seeing the issues, like seeing the issues that pertain to white women as the issues for all women. And, mm -hmm. and the only, the only issues that are important more broadly. So yeah. a lot of times if, well, you can, know, well, can you give me an example? I will. So, yeah. um, an issue might be like, well, girls can, girls can be scientists too. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important, you know, for girls to go into STEM and feel comfortable speaking up in class and all those things, you know. But I think one of the problems that people see is that that's all well and good, but if someone comes and says, well, I really think that poverty is an issue that we need to look at because if girls are growing up with not enough to eat or they can't get to school because they have to take care of a sick parent who and they only have a, a not enough income or something like that, then that all affects how they can how they can get to school or not. And some people, you know, and and it's also true that these issues affect women of color more than others, you know. And I think in the past and probably to some degree now still people will say, or some white feminists will say, well that's you know, you're diluting our message if you talk about all these other issues. We just really need to talk about the main topic. And oh. when people say, you know, well, listen to black women's issues, well, people will say, oh, well, these are with, these are, we want to talk about the issues that affect all women. And to, so then to use the one single idea and anything else that expands that, you see, if that's seen as a distraction, then that is, I think the definition that people are talking about when they talk about white feminism, that it just, it either dismisses issues that affect other communities or it just doesn't even really under, doesn't really understand it or deal with it. Mm. Or they so, want to, or they, or they tell you to, you know, wait, it'll be the next thing we do. And it, and it never is. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like wait till we get this. Right. And don't just don't distract or dilute that effort and then you'll get yours next or something like yeah. that. That's, yeah. yeah. So so like wait until we get ERA passed. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that would be a long way, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. But um, you know, and, and that said, I don't see anything wrong with fighting for girls to you know, teaching girls to speak up in class and, and to do science or any of those things. I think those are important. But I think the problem comes in when it's all the other issues and the complexity of issues is not seen at all or, or diminished or dismissed, you know, because there are lots of, I mean, everything affects our lives, right? It's like our, our race and economics and gender and um, we're, we don't exist in a vacuum. Right. So people have defined white feminism as that type of feminism that exists in a vacuum and, and doesn't recognize that a lot of other factors affect many other people because a lot of those things maybe don't touch the white women feminists to the same degree so that they're blind to it or are not acknowledging it. So, yeah, so that's good. It's a good, it's a good uh, conversation starter, that piece, actually. I also was wondering about the, uh, Ketra, is that her name? Yeah. Her, her appearance and her behavior, both, if you're looking at it from a racial standpoint, I felt like stereotyped her in some ways. Yeah. Because she's mm -hmm. not only, um, has a darker skin tone, but she's like, she's partly animalistic. She's, uh, she's other, but she has to be like even more otherized. Somehow. I know. Yeah, well, I, and I, and that's the one thing I need to go back to the original series because I think she existed there as well. Mm -hmm. That character. I mean, and they also have in, in the princess realm, and I forget what the hell they, you know, there's all different kingdoms, uh, of the various princesses. Um, and there's one queen, uh, you know, that, that, their whole society, I still haven't figured out yet how that works. But, um, there are, you know, there are women, there are people, women and men of, you know, the, the entire array of skin tones. 
Hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. I guess they're figuring, oh, well, you know, this, this, these characters are black, so Catra can be this. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. they have, they have other, they have, uh, they have the gamut of, of races and, and I think possibly identities. I am not sure. Mm-hmm. I you definitely know. did see some, rep- I mean, you know, I didn't watch, I said I didn't watch every episode, but I saw right. Positive representation of people of color in the in yes. as well, but it was interesting to me that for that particular conflict scene, it's with a person who is kind of half person, half animal, and she's she acts out a lot, you know. She's yeah. kind of the character that is I um, trouble. creates she's a troublemaker. She creates you know? conflict in the story. Right, right. So it was weird. It's it's a weird mix of is this sort of like a black stereotype in a negative way, or is more of her backstory? Will that explain? I don't know. We don't we don't really know where yeah. her people come from. But there's another woman who shows up later on who's sort of like this half woman, half crustacean. I, <laughs> okay. She's like a scorpion. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah. She's got like a real butch haircut, like she's blonde, and she's got a real butch haircut, and she's got a scorpion tail and claws. So, so I, I don't know. She's the angry lesbian. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but she, but she, she has. She's very friendly. Okay. She's, she's she's actually she kind of sounds like Ellen. Her accent is kind of like that, and it's. Okay. It, it's I I don't know. I haven't figured her out yet. Um, but the other thing I just wanted to mention, and I don't, and I haven't done enough research to know how pervasive this is, but like all of the, all of the, ma- the, the leaders of the horde are being voiced by black people. They're being so, what? They're, they're, vo- the voiceover actors are black. Oh. And, mm-hmm. and I think the rest of the cast is pretty much white. So that I, you know, that's something that I think since James Earl Jones started, you know, uh, the voice becoming the voice of Darth Vader, it's I guess they, you know, um, they I, want that low round tone. Yeah, but it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm just noticing this seems to be a trend that huh. like in, in things where there's a voiceover and it's a bad guy, it's a black guy. And it's like, wow. that, you know, that needs to not be universal, and I yeah. and, I'm, and I'm glad these guys are getting work, but I think you know they could be voicing other characters as well. Right, exactly. Wow. Well, the, my my other takeaway of, of the show like that is that I'm glad that so many people, especially women, are getting jobs. Yes. Yes, and mm-hmm. I think, I think, uh, I think most of the the production. I've been noticing that too. Like in uh, Miss Maisel, it's most of the like the writers and the directors are more women than men, or at least they have more female looking names than than male looking names. Um, and uh, and I think in in uh, Shira, I think the writing is primarily done by women, which I think makes I don't know. I I like that. I like seeing that. Um, yeah. I think I think women writing women women characters make the women characters more believable. Mm-hmm. Just uh-huh. as a general, if I can general and paint broad brush, um, I'm gonna make that statement that women can write women better than men can. <laughs> so, yeah. And I I would say that you know men can write men better than women can. So I'll say that too. I'll I'll give them that. I I don't I don't agree with that one though. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. And as a non-binary person, I don't I don't I mean, I guess I write non-binary people. I don't know. I don't know. I I'm not of the opinion that everybody has to only write in their own lane per se, but I do want obviously to see more women and people of color and people of different genders getting work and getting Work beyond being the bad guy or the or the thug or something, you know, the the maid or something like that, you know. So um, it's 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 a process, I think. And this is this is a good 
I like this discussion, and I think I'm going to mm. be more interested in seeing more what happens in the series, and yeah. um, hopefully seeing. There, there was a TV show on called Royal Pains. I don't know if anybody watched yeah, I watched that. that. There was the uh, um, the physician's assistant Divya. Yeah, and I liked that. I liked the actress, and I liked the character, and she she voices the queen. I did not uh, know that. Yeah, as soon as I heard it, I went, "Oh my God, that's Divya." I liked her too. But she's yeah. she's an Indian woman, so okay, it's yep. it's another race there. Cool. Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrenee.com. And my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash Fan. Tweet at me at spiritrocksexy. And follow me on Instagram at Music. I would love to hear from you. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color. Printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies. Spiral-bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com. right up against Christmas, and that's one of the many holidays at this time of year, and we want to wish everybody happy holidays and whatever it is that we're doing with, uh, with um, the time of year. My particular tradition has been going on for more than a week now. My tradition is to, uh, especially since my foot is still not healed and I've got to lay down, is to watch stupid movies. These stupid, stupid uh, Christmas movies on <laughs> on Lifetime and and uh, not you too. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> hate those. I avoid. I avoid them. I'm very. I am very Scrooge-like during this time of the year. <clears throat> yeah. Not only did Hanukkah coincide with my birthday, which was always vexing to me as a child, cheated out of presents. <laughs> because they would combine them. It's your birthday, you know. It's like uh, I guess it's like my father-in-law having his birthday on Christmas Eve. So no. he would get yeah. he would only get one batch of presents instead of two. So, uh, but also um, my mother died on on the winter solstice itself, which kind of messed mm-hmm. that holiday up for me. Um, and this year it's. It, the memory of the of the death is kind of hitting harder than it has in other years, just because other people have died this year, which messes with you messes up your brain anyway. Um, hmm. So uh, I've gotten very Scrooge like in my older years. Mm-hmm. Well, I've gotten kind of Scrooge like too, and that's why I'm forcing myself to watch these movies. Thinking now, the movies I watch, them. the movies I watch on Christmas are all of the Alien movies. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Well, what do you do, Robin? Well, I'm a little less Scrooge like in uh, than I've been in a long time. I've had a very some of my teen years it started like a very sort of painful time for me around Christmas time and I've spent more adult years sort of being a little tipsier than I probably needed to be around holidays because I think I dealt with it that way <laughs> it's like oh there's lots of food and booze around I think I'll just indulge in that you know mm-hmm. um but I feel more um more positive than I have in a lot of years I I like to celebrate all of the things that have to do with light, all the holidays of light that we have. So even starting with Diwali, which is usually in the end of October, even it's a little closer to Stalin, um, or sometimes in November, it varies. Um, so I like that. Um, I like 
Hanukkah. For me, it's very reinterpreted. I don't really think about the traditional stories around it. I didn't grow up Jewish or anything, but um, when I'm invited to things that have to do with Hanukkah, I enjoy that. Um, I go to someone's latke party or something like that. And Ooh, latkes. Yes. <laughs> and I think because of my complicated relationship with Christmas, I've tended to not do much on that day itself. I'm, I've sort of taken it as a my own personal, almost like a, a very quiet retreat. You know, mm. um, I do some things. We talked to Doc Coyle earlier in uh, uh, some episodes ago. I did an interview with him. And he's a great guitarist and he's all, he's in LA or traveling or whatever these days, but he's an old friend and usually comes home to East Brunswick, New Jersey, somewhere around Christmas holiday. So, um, I often will spend Christmas Eve with him and his dad and other family members, but this year it's going to be a little earlier that we're going to do that. So my Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, well, Christmas Day is always quiet, but I think my Christmas Eve may be too. Um, so I will help put up a tree for a neighbor who's across the street who's elderly and like, you know, need some, we like to oh, hang out. Nice. She, was, she was friends of uh, my parents. So I like to spend time with her, Mrs. Cuff. And uh, <laughs> so I'll do that. And I haven't done, I have done things for Kwanzaa and Boxing Day in the past, but I don't think I have any such plans uh, this year. My New Year's is my thing. I'm, a, I'm kind of like a, that's like the holiday I like, so. You know, so it'll be filled with lights and not too many gratuitous gift giving experiences, I think. <laughs> and we do Yule, uh, so I like to find something meaningful in Yule and the um, finding the spark of light and life somehow. If we can do, if we can make it meaningful, that that's what's best for me. Well, I look forward to celebrating Yule with you and and having you. Share your light because I need that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, light is good. And uh, yeah, I look forward to that too. We'll find so happy holidays, time. everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Be sure to listen next week to our final podcast of the year when we will be celebrating the lives of some of the people who left us in 2018. I hope you can join us on the Let's Game. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com, on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.